Nehemiah chapter 5. It's an amazing book that we're at. We're taking it very slowly. Uh, I don't want us to miss out on any lessons when it comes to leadership in this very great book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is about leadership. It's about restoring. It's about from ruin to restoration. It's about going from a place in your life where maybe you were, you're facing some challenges, that maybe you were facing some places where it was ruin one day, but today it's restoration. <laughs> maybe yesterday was a ruin, but today can be a restoration in Christ. And we see that Nehemiah is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That Nehemiah comes on the scene to restore the walls of Jerusalem, to rebuild what the enemy for a long time had torn down. And last week we went over, the last two weeks, on what it means to overcome discouragement. And one way of overcoming discouragement is by standing in the gap. What does it mean to stand in the gap? It means that with one hand you have a sword and with the other hand you have a brick and you're working and serving in ministry, but at the same time you have your sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that, that, that those two go a long, a long way to be able to get accomplished the work of God. What does it mean to stand in the gap? It means you're praying for your family members. It means that you're looking for that restoration. What does it mean to stand in the gap? But today, the title of the message, if you like taking notes, is the need for Christian workers. The need for Christian workers. What is the need for Christian workers? You see, Nehemiah today teaches us what does it mean to be salt and light in our world today. What does it mean to be salt and light? Because here what he does, he starts to defend the weak. And we learn a lot about his integrity. I think that if you want to lead anything in life, whether it's your marriage or your family, whatever, whichever capacity, maybe you want to lead yourself closer to the Lord and you need the Lord's guidance and help, it's going to start with your integrity and your character. With who you are when no one else is there. Your integrity and your character, right? And we see that his integrity and his character in chapter 5 is marked by him standing up for justice. He becomes an advocate for social justice here in chapter 5. And he doesn't tolerate injustice in the lives of those around him. And you know what he does here? He penetrates the world around him. He starts to, to really matter for the culture and the world that's around him, Nehemiah, because he was two things. Number one, he was aware of the situation. And number two, he was involved in the situation. <laughs> I want you to date and understand this and know this. Are you aware of the situation? And, and after you're aware, do you become involved in the situation? Lord, make us aware, Lord, and let us be involved because we want to see some change. Because we want to see some change. And the change starts with us. If you want to see some change, you have to ask the Lord, Lord, let me be aware and let me be involved because I want to be a Nehemiah in my world today. I want to be salt and light because there is a need for Christian workers. And in, in Matthew 5 verse 13, I'm going to read it to you. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. God's called you to be salt and He's called you to be light. 
He's called it to affect others, that others would taste the character of Christ, that they would become thirsty, that the, that the salt ingredient will heal them, right? And that light would provide light in very dark places of their life and of our world. It says that when you have light, you don't, you don't hide it under a basket, but you put it on a lampstand or you put it on something high so that it gives light to everyone that's in the house, it says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to ask you today, are you becoming salt and light wherever you go? Are you becoming salt and light at work? Are you salt and light at home? Because if the salt loses its flavor, it becomes good for nothing. If the light is hiding under a basket, it doesn't fulfill its purpose on illuminating now and reflecting now, right? It doesn't fulfill its purpose on now uh, exposing darkness. You know what light does? It's amazing what light does. It, it immediately exposes darkness. You know what salt does? It heals, it adds flavor, it cleanses, it purifies, it, it maybe even draws thirst for more. You have to be salt and light wherever you go. And today there is a real need for Christian workers. Christian workers that say, I'm going to be salt and I'm going to be light wherever I go. Because here you see in chapter 5 that the work came to a pause. Came to a pause, the work of building the wall. Because there was strife among people. There was no unity. And then the enemy could not stop the work of God from the outside. So he said, I'm going to go ahead and stop the work of God from the inside. And I'm going to allow the people, the enemy comes in, I'm going to start divisions and dissensions and miscommunications and misunderstandings so that the people no longer are working together. And they say, I want to work, I just don't want to work with that person. I want to be able to serve, I just don't want to serve with that person. And guess what happens when you start to have that type of attitude now? The Lord is not able to use you. <laughs> when you have an attitude of, I won't do that, then God won't use you. When you have an attitude of, I have my own personal reservations on what I will and will not do for the Lord, and I have certain prerequisites of what I can do in ministry and what I cannot do in ministry, you're automatically putting yourself in a position where God will not use your life. You see, the work here will not survive. In the book of Nehemiah, the work in your life will not survive. The work in our church will not survive if we let our ego get in the way. I wonder today if, if maybe we have allowed our ego to get in the way of what God wants to do. If we have allowed our pride to get in the way. Because the work will not survive with ego. The work of God will not survive with greed. I'm greedy with my time. I'm greedy with my resources. I'm greedy with the, my, the finances that God has blessed me with. You see, the people might have been united in, in, in objective. They might have been united when it comes to objective. But they were divided when it comes to affection. And today maybe you say, well, I'm going through the motions in objective. But the affection piece is missing. We really don't care about one another. There's no natural love that binds us together to work for the Lord. And this is the enemy here wanting to attack now the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, right? And one of the things that we remember here is that you are not your brother's enemy. <laughs> You are not 
your wife's enemy. You are not your husband's enemy. You are not your children's enemy. We have to remember we're in spiritual warfare. So many times we get in spiritual warfare and we start to personally take it upon ourselves thinking it's against our wife. It's against our husband. It's against our boss. That's not your enemy. <laughs> the, the enemy is not your brother at church. That is not the enemy. The enemy, the real enemy, wants to make you believe and lie to you and deceive you that that is the enemy. That is not the enemy. And understand that and realize that. You see, there was a real problem here. Because they forgot to keep now the main thing, the main thing. And now the priorities started to shift a little bit. They're building the wall. Let's see what Nehemiah 5.1 tells us here. And how it teaches us that there is a need for Christian workers. And how it teaches us that we have to be salt and light. Those ingredients, the, the, the light that exposes the darkness, right? Wherever we go. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. The people that were building the wall started to cry out. There was a great outcry. And I want you to underline that because that's an amazing portion. It tells us that their people are oppressed. That they're crying out a great outcry. And it says, For there were those who said three reasons why they cried. Number one, We, our sons, our daughters, are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. We have no grain. There's a big family. Let us go get grain so that we can live. That was the first reason of the great outcry. Reason number two in verse three. There were also those who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. Not only do we have not food here in verse 2, but now we, the, what we do have, which is our land, our territory, our houses, we have mortgaged them up so that we can have money to buy now food. You see how desperate they are here in verse 3? But then there's a third reason for the great outcry now. There are also those who said we have borrowed money now for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. We have no money. And now in order to be able to pay for the taxes of those things that we possess, we have to borrow money to pay taxes for the king or to the king. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. And I pray, Lord, maybe there is a great outcry in our, in our lives right now. Maybe something or, 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 or someone, Lord, or an area is crying out for attention. And maybe we need to pause, Lord, so that we can give the attention that it rightly deserves, God, and give you glory. I pray, Lord, that we would not give into Satan's strategy of stopping the work of God. That the church would never stop because of ego, because of pride, because of division. That the church would continue to do what God called it to do. It's your church, Lord. It's your work. And we don't want ego or greed or pride to become an issue. And we pray this all in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Together we said, Amen. Amen. Now it says from verse 2 here, from verse 1 all the way to verse 4, we see now that there is a really bad situation taking place. There's a famine we learned here. We learned here now that Nehemiah is starting to learn about the situation. And he's going to defend the weak. 
Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? He comes and comforts us when we're weak as well, when we're vulnerable, right? To the attacks of the enemy comes and comforts and strengthens and comes alongside of us, right? Well, now Nehemiah is going to defend the weak, which is the work and the ministry of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He's going to come comfort us, help us, edify us, empower us, right? The Holy Spirit. But he's saying, and they're crying out the people and saying, you know, we need more food to eat. They're begging for food. They didn't have money. They had a mortgage of their houses. They didn't have money to pay the taxes. Why didn't they have money? Because they had money problems. <laughs> you know why they had money problems? And I bet some of us here maybe have money problems. Because the reason for the money problems was because there was greed taking place here in some of the Jewish community. And when there's greed taking place, you ought to find out that there's going to be some type of money problem. And, and people here had money problems also because, yes, they were working hard on the walls. They were attending to ministry. They were trying to defend their families, right? But then they also didn't give them time to spend on providing for the needs or the basic needs of their households. So they mortgaged up their lands. They gave up what they had. It was a critical situation now. They borrowed money to pay the taxes. And in verse 5, look what it tells us now. You know, our flesh is at the flesh of our brethren. And our children, as the children, and indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. Is it not in our power to redeem them for other men have our lands and vineyards? Now he, they cry out here, the Jewish people, and it says, look, even our family members, our sons and our daughters, we're helpless and we're desperate. We have to give them up to be servants and to be slaves so that we can have the money, the necessary money to provide now. We've lost our family and we're weak. And maybe today you think you, you've lost it all. And it's in an unhealthy situation, right? It's a situation where you don't see things going Good, where there's no provisions, where you don't see the Lord maybe providing the way Scripture says that He would provide. And now they were going to allow for money to become an excuse on why to stop the work of God. You know, I think it's interesting how the church treats the area of money. Sometimes we become a little too scared to talk about it, and other times we overly emphasize when it comes to our finances. But I tell you this, when it comes to our finances, we as Christians cannot separate what we do with our money with our walk with God. And I, wanna, I want you to know that. That our walk with God and the way we, we handle our, our finances are not two separate things. In fact, that is a huge deception that the enemy wants you to believe. That my money is my personal stuff and my walk with God is something else. And therefore, you start to find yourself in really situ hard situations where you can't see the Lord providing the way He wanted to provide for you. But I'll tell you, buying a house is a spiritual decision. It's not just a financial one. It's not just because you have an opportunity that you're just going to purchase something. And that's, that's a spiritual decision. Right? Buying a car, right? Taking a job, choosing a career, accepting maybe how much money you're going to make. All of those things are spiritual decisions. All of them are spiritual decisions. And these matters on how you decide these things will, will directly affect the way God is using you today and will directly affect your walk with Him in the future as well. It's a spiritual decision. And if we don't handle our finances the right way with the right heart, 
then we're going to make financial decisions that really will not see with the eye on eternity, right? And we can make mistakes that will affect the work of God in our lives for years to come. You think about how many people have made mistakes when it comes to finances because they were greedy and now affected how God wanted to use them for years to come. Because it tells us now in verse 6, And I became very angry when I heard the outcry in these words. He was angry. Now you have to ask yourself, what's going on? What's the disconnect? Why is it that they're suffering so much? And why is it that it has to do with their finances? We're going to find out right now why. This is the what, but let's find out the why. Now, Nehemiah was angry. This is righteous angry, anger. And he's going to defend the weak now. Have you ever known something that's taking place that's an injustice that should not be taking place? Well, he becomes angry when he finds out about the situation that, that people are getting ripped off. <laughs> When you see the enemy ripping off your brother or your sister or your spouse or ripping you off from what God has given you, does it cause some kind of righteous anger inside of you because you're so connected to the Lord? You see, righteous anger is powerful. You know what righteous anger causes you to do? It causes you to do the same thing that it caused Jesus to do. It causes you to go into the house and clean up and turn the tables over of religion and says, my house is going to be called a house of prayer and you turn it into a den of thieves. You see, righteous anger allows you to go back to what God called you to be and it's a house of prayer. And this is exactly what you're going to see here. Nehemiah was angry. He was moved. I came very angry when I heard the outcry of these words and after serious thought... <laughs> Verse 7, after serious thought. Can we really underline that place, please? Because it didn't say he impulsively in his anger moved. He gave it some serious thought on what he was about to do. And when he heard about the outcry, you know what he does after some serious thought? I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. This is salt and light in our world, rebuking what's taking place that shouldn't be taking place. That is power right there in the life of Nehemiah. That is the Holy Spirit empowering us to be able to call out sin or call out an injustice or call out something that is taking place that should not be taking place. Do you think that Nehemiah thought, you know what, well, I'm just going to keep take, letting it take place because after all, these are leaders that are, that, are, that are conducting this business, right? And I'm not going to rebuke. Rebuke is one of the healthiest things in the church. Rebuke is awesome. Rebuke is healthy. Rebuke is uncomfortable. Rebuke is necessary. Amen. And it says, And after these things, I gave it serious thought and I rebuked the leaders. You know how many times that when we serve in ministry that, that we ought to be rebuked? <laughs> Man, it, it's beautiful when rebuke happens. When confrontation happens. You know why? Because that's healthy for you. It's some of the best things that can ever happen to you as you're serving the Lord. Rebuke. Nehemiah went there, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and he rebuked the leaders. And look what he tells the leaders as he rebuked the leaders. And I said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother, so I have called a great assembly against them. Each of you is taking advantage of your, of your brothers and sisters. Each of you is hurting your brothers. You know why they were hurting them? Because they were charging them interest. Oh, there's a famine. That means that we all need food. That means that because we need food, 
and there is a scarcity when it comes to the provision of the food, guess what we can do now? We can be businessmen, clever businessmen, and because the demand is higher, right? The demand is higher for food. We can also raise the prices and charge some interest for borrowing money for food or for the food itself. And Nehemiah comes in, what are you doing? You're ripping off your brethren because you're charging them interest. And he calls a meeting and he says, there's a problem here. And he confronts the leadership. You're charging them interest. You say you're serving them, but it's for your own interest. You say you're serving them, but it's for your own interest. Have you ever served someone, but maybe you had your own interest in mind? When you serve people, you better not charge them interest. When you serve God, don't charge God interest. You know what happens when you start to try to charge God interest or people interest or the ministry interest? I want to do it on my own interest. You, you have an agenda. And that agenda is destructive. It comes against anything that God wants to do. That's not how a work of God happens. They started to charge interest. And, and look what happens here in verse 7. I call the great assembly and that word against them. Now we start to think that word against absolutely does not promote unity. And, and you better believe it does it. Because he was not scared to confront the problem. And I think that we cannot be scared to confront the issues that take place at times. Because if we're too scared, guess what we're going to be? We're going to be yes men and women and we're going to be people pleasers. And we're never going to defend the oppressed. We're never going to offend the weak, the vulnerable. We're going to let people continue to charge interest on behalf of the ministry. And if someone is charging interest on behalf of the ministry, then get out of here with that. Because that's not the way God does His work. Look what it goes on in verse 8. And I said to them, according to our ability, we've done as much as we possibly could here, and we redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the foreign nations. We've done everything we can to, to bring them out of captivity from Babylon. We've done everything we can to take them away from the, the hand of the foreign oppression that they've had for so long, for 70 years of captivity. We've taken them out. God has given us that privilege. And now you put them back in the bondage? <laughs> Look at it says here, and now will you even sell your brethren or should you, so they be sold to us? Then were they, they were silenced and found nothing to say. How many times have people come to church to find refuge? And instead of them finding refuge and God has given them refuge and this should be a safe haven for what God wants to do as we help them rebuild from ruins, we then go and put them back into bondage. <laughs> We put them back in the bondage of legalism uh, because of our greed, because of our pride, because of our ego, because of our agenda, because of our own selfish incentives, because of our interests. Now, we put them back in the bondage that God drew them out of. See, when God called you to be free, He called you also to be free from religious legalism. He also called you to be free from the bondage of man. And I love what takes place here because he's reminding them, according to all our ability, we've redeemed them. We've already paid the price so that they can be free. And now all the price, all the interest that you're charging them, it's only putting them back into bondage now. And they were silenced and found nothing to say. 
Because the rich leaders, what they were doing was taking advantage of the people that didn't have money and they were making a profit off of them. Don't come to church trying to make a profit off of people. Try to find how you can get your own. We're not here to make a profit off of no one. They wanted to make a profit off of them. And it was the greed, the root, that was disrupting the unity. I want you to know this, that unity is more precious than any amount of incentive or interest that you can ever gain. Unity. You ought to advocate more for unity than for interest. Are you looking for unity or are you looking for interest? Because when you really want unity, you don't really care about interest. There's too many people that are willing to look more at interest. What's my interest? Instead of how valuable and how precious and how much worth unity brings. But Nehemiah kept the focus. You know what the focus was? He was people-centered. He wasn't self-centered. I think that when we serve the Lord, even in today's world, we have to become more people-centered than ever instead of self-centered and become available to people. Where we say, I want to be a blessing to the ministry, I don't want to be a burden to it. A burden is someone that comes with incentives in mind, with an agenda, with an interest in mind. We're coming to be a blessing, not a burden. It's sad when you see these modern day, even messages of today where, where everyone is preaching about a gospel of self-interest. That's not the gospel of the Bible. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. A gospel of self-interest where, where a God exists who serves me. <laughs> That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible that we read about, the, the, the God Yahweh of the nation of Israel that we read about, even from Genesis to Revelation, is the God that we serve, not that serves us. And we better get that straight. <laughs> it's not a God that serves you. It's not a God that's there for your interests, for your incentives, for your ego, for your benefits, that He's going to take you through, through every single storm in life and everything's going to look amazing. You see, in most messages, you kind of, it's more of a feel-good message now, a motivational speech, than it is one where we start to learn to walk in the fear of God. That's what's missing here. That's what was missing here, the fear of God. They had nothing to say. They lost fear of God so that they started to become men and women of interest, not men and women of unity. Today become men and women of unity instead of men and women of interest. Then I said, what you are doing is not good, verse 9. It's not good. And it says, should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations of our enemies? What you're doing is not good. Shouldn't you be walking in the fear of God? The way you're talking to your spouse is not good. The way you're looking at the people at church is not good. The way that you're serving is not good. The interest is not good. The way you're treating them is not good. He's telling them, shouldn't you fear God? Should you not fear our God because of the reproach of the nations of our enemies? Should you not fear God in light of what our enemies and our, those that are afflicting us are doing? It's so sad when the church does more damage to the church than the world does to the church. We're not here to do damage. We're not here to do damage. 
says what you're doing is not good. And it tells you, verse 10, I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. I'm also lending them money. But I'm not charging them interest. I'm just giving them, expecting nothing in return. Expect nothing in return for what you do for the Lord. You know what your reward is? Your reward is in heaven. That's a much better reward than any reward you can receive here on earth. Please, it says, let us stop this usury. You know what usury means? That, that word usury is amazing. Please, let us stop using people. Can we please stop using people for our gain? Using the ministry? Using the occasion? Using the position? Using the platform? That's using. Using it for something that God didn't intend it to be because they were charging interest here. Verse 11, restore now. Make things right. Restore now. Make things right to them. Even this day today. Their lands. Give them back their lands. You took their lands away to charge them for food. Give them back their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine, the oil that you have charged them. Give them a hundredth back. They were charging them a hundredth of interest back. Think about how much they took from them. Think about how much interest they took from them. He says, restore to them now. So they said, verse 12, we will restore it and we will require nothing from them. That's real ministry, require nothing. I'm going to restore and I'm going to require nothing. Why? Because I want to serve the Lord with no requirements. <laughs> how many times have maybe you or any of us got into the ministry with our, or with our own requirements. I'm going to serve the Lord, but I have a list of requirements. <laughs> and you know what he's saying? I want you to give back everything, and I want you to have no requirements. Maybe today God's telling you that. I want you to give everything, and I, want, I don't want you to have requirements. I don't want you to have interest. I don't want you to advocate for interest. You know what interest does? It divides people. And it slows the work down. Right? Because you get in the way. But look what it tells us now as we continue reading. We will do as you say. And they call the pre then I called the priest, Nehemiah verse 12, and I required a note from them that they would do according to this promise. So now he called the priest or the leaders now, and he says, you know what, I'm going to make you promise that you're actually going to do this, that you're not just saying this, I'm going to make you promise that you're actually going to change. I'm not just going to allow you to say it out of emotions because I'm confronting or rebuke you. I want you to promise that you're actually going to change. And it's going to start with the priests, with the ministers, with the servants. I want you to pray. Then I shook off the fold of my garment. So he grabbed his garment out and he shook it in front of them. He shook his garment now. And look what he tells them. So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property. Who does not perform this promise, even thus may be, be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. <laughs> You see what Nehemiah does? And he challenges them. I love what rebuke all will... When, when you have real rebuke, there also comes challenge. A challenge to change. 
And you know what he does is he grabs now his folds in his robe. And he shakes and he says, if you fail to keep this promise, may God also shake you. Like this from your home, may he shake you from your property. And the whole assembly responded, amen. And they praised the Lord and they did as they promised. You know, sometimes we feel that the Lord is shaking us from all the profit that maybe we're making because we're making it for our own interest and our own gain. And he said, if you don't put the Lord first, if you don't put the real motive first, guess what's going to happen? The Lord's also going to shake from you what you think that you have. How many times have you felt that the Lord shook you up a little bit <laughs> because maybe you had your own agenda? Because maybe you had your own plan, your own interest, and the Lord says, all right, you have your own interest. I'm going to shake you up a little bit. And look what he says. Not only shake, shake them up, but he says here, out and emptied. Shaken out and emptied. This is what the Lord would do. But they responded. They said, you know, we're going to do according to this promise. They obeyed. And what, is, what does the Lord do now for Nehemiah? Because he challenged them, because he came to clean up house. The Lord now here promotes Nehemiah. You know why he promotes Nehemiah? He doesn't promote these leaders. Because Nehemiah's now intentions were pure. He didn't come with an ulterior motive. You think God's going to trust you when you have your own agenda, when you have ulterior motives? Absolutely not. God doesn't use that. God promotes your Nehemiah. He goes from a cupbearer to a wall builder. And now in chapter 5, God promotes him to the governor of Jerusalem. Can you believe that? <laughs> because he was faithful behind the scenes in prayer, because he had one hand on the bricks and another hand on the sword, because he was there with commitment, with discipline, with diligence, and because he confronted and rebuked now the sin that was taking place. Why his motives were pure. He wanted to really serve the people. You know what his agenda was? His agenda was love, and I'm available here to serve. That was his agenda. And the Lord looks at that before He promotes. You know what He does here for Nehemiah? He promotes him because He knows that Nehemiah knew how to handle a promotion. This is when the test of not only adversity comes, we always know the test of adversity, but what about the test of advancement? <laughs> a lot of times ministry is, is not hard when it is adverse. It's more hard, more hard when you're advancing, when it's successful. Because that's the moment when you start to, to be challenged with whether am I going to stay true to the integrity and the character that God has to, uh, that God used in my life to bring me here, right? You know, and it, it tells us here now that the test of adversity is going to of advancement is coming to come your way as well. It's been said before that adversity is sometimes hard upon a man. But for a man who can stand, for one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred who will stand adversity. Very few people can stand prosperity. Because you know what happens when they, prosperity happens, you start to compromise when it comes to the integrity and to the character. Thank you, Lord, you gave me this position, you gave me these privileges. I'm going to compromise my integrity now. I'm going to compromise my character because... Lord, you brought me here now. And I'm deserving. I'm entitled to it. But no, not Nehemiah. It teaches us a lesson here on what it means to be salt and light. It means to also have integrity and character. No matter where the Lord promotes you to. That's why we need to have a Christian example like Nehemiah. 
be played out in our lives every single day when we dive in the Word of God. It says, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be governor here in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 20th, until the 32nd year of King Xerxes, 12 years, 12 years of being a governor. 12 years of being a governor, but he was a good governor. He was a good governor. You know why? It tells us why right here. Because for 12 years it says, I nor my brothers ate the governor's here provisions. What, what do you mean? You were a governor, but you never ate the governor's provisions? I was a governor, Nehemiah said, and never did I expense my food, my land, my security because I was governor. You know that he had a privilege as governor to be able to expense things? But he said, I was a governor and I chose never in 12 years to expense or take advantage of anything. I didn't take advantage to use the privilege now to expense things because when he did that, guess what happened? He, he was really thinking about putting the work of God ahead than his personal interest. And that's why God promoted him. We're gonna, the Lord is going to promote you if He can trust you in that place of promotion. If He can't trust you in that place of promotion, you better believe He's not going to open that door. He's, he, Nehemiah, what he was doing, he says, what is better for the gospel? What is better for rebuilding the wall? He knew what was better at that moment was to not expense now his own needs. Are you expensing your own needs? Expensing your needs. I said, you know what? My, my, my needs are to be expensed first before I serve at the, at, at, for the Lord. You see, he knew how to handle the honor of promotion. And he didn't let pride or self-sufficiency say, you know what? I have arrived and get in the way. He knew that the only reason why he was a governor is because God is sovereign. And God put me here in the same way that God put me here. He can take me away. So I'm not going to expense anything for 12 years because I want to be, check this out, above reproach. Are you above reproach today where no one can blame you for taking advantage of anything? How many times have you seen people in the ministry or, or CEOs or business people that they falter when it comes to moral standards and they start to take advantage of situations and no longer are they trustworthy? Nehemiah said, as long as I'm a governor, I'm going to be trustworthy. And I'm never going to use the money that is set aside here for the people. That's incredible right there. He knew it was God's grace that put him there. He didn't think that he was there because he was at the right place at the right time. So guess what? I got promoted or because I know that person that promotes people or because I scratched that person's back. No, he's a biblical illustration that promotion comes from God. And it's for a purpose. Anytime God promotes, he promotes with a purpose. He doesn't promote for anything else than with a purpose. And he saw that Nehemiah was a competent leader. God promoted him with a purpose because he had the people's best interest in mind. God will always raise up a man or a woman that has the people's best interest in mind. Oh, Lord, I want that leadership position, but you have your best interest in mind. God say, no way, I'm not going to do that. You have your interest in mind. I love what in Psalm 75 verse 6 tells us, it says, For exaltation, the exaltation of people, it comes neither from the east nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts the other. It's God who does those things. When man exalts somebody, it's so weak. 
When man wants to endorse people, I've seen man endorse people in ministry, and it's weak. It's weak. Because it's not even anointed. It's coming from man. But when God exalts someone, guess what? It's anointed. It's powerful. It doesn't matter if it doesn't have man's approval. God exalted that person. You know what this tells us when, when Nehemiah became a Christian here, uh, a governor? Is that we need Christian workers. He didn't say, oh no, I'm not going to be governor because it says here in, in this very verse that he was appointed. When you're appointed, that means that he didn't sign up for it. They appointed him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that God is really doing it? They appointed him. He didn't say, hey guys, look at me. I'm building the wall. I left the palace. I used to be the cupbearer. I think I should be the governor. He was appointed by the Lord. And when he's appointed, he didn't say, oh, you know what? I don't want the position. I don't want the responsibility. No, he's saying, you know what? I'm going to be uncompromising. I'm going to accept the responsibility. I'm going to accept this position. Because more now than ever, and even in this time, we need believers in political society, in political power, in corporate power, in power that shapes our culture, in power that can become salt and light. Think about it. Having a Christian governor. Should we not pray for Christian government? They say, Lord, put people in office that fear you, God. That fear you, God. That fear your name, Lord. Raise people up in the workplace that are leaders, that are managers, that are bosses, that are CEOs, that fear God. Raise up leaders within even our homes that fear God, within our city, within our council, that fear God. You see here, what he does here is he shows us what it means to rise to the occasion. Sometimes Christians believe that they need to hide and be afraid to step out in faith. And now I don't want to be influential. I don't want to be a leader. You know what? He teaches us, you know what? Yes, step out. Because you're never going to be saw in life. You're hiding in the shadows all your life. I don't care how long you've been there. God wants you to step out of the shadows so you can be saw in light. Do you remember Jabez in the Old Testament, right? In Chronicles? You know what Jabez prayed? It was an, it was, it's an infamous prayer, the prayer of Jabez. Because Jabez allowed God to stretch him. And he was called to impact and to lead. You know what he said in first here, Chronicles 4.10. Jabez called out to God of Israel and said, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Why don't you ask God to enlarge your territory? Enlarge, Lord, my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him his request. Lord, enlarge our territory. I'm not scared to ask the Lord to enlarge my territory. We're not scared to say, Lord, enlarge my capacity. Lord, stretch me to have a higher influence that would cause salt and light in the world around me. But no, not, not say, oh, Lord, just give me a little tiny place of ministry. And just keep me there for the rest of my life. And let me spend the rest of my life just hiding here. I've seen so many Christian leaders do that, that they're just content with the victories that God gave them a long time ago. And they're saying, Lord, just give me this. No, our prayer should be, Lord, enlarge my territory. Let me rise up to the occasion, Lord, for the glory of God. You see, he was looking to God and he's saying, Lord, I want, I'm willing to accept enlarged borders. I'm willing to, to believe that you want to use me in stretching ways. I'm not going to set a lower goal or a standard than what God has set for me already. The Bible tells us clearly in Proverbs 29 verse 2 that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. 
But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. You see, we more than ever should be called to be able to rise in authority. God has given you authority. But not only in the church. God wants you to use that same authority by the Holy Spirit to be able to also lead in the world. Right? And our prayer should be, Lord, raise up more Christians in strategic spots and influential people. Raise them up more that will shape our culture like salt and like light. And I'll tell you this, if, if it doesn't require faith and if it doesn't require prayer, what you have in your heart to do for the Lord, then maybe your vision is way too small. Because we want faith and we want some prayer. That's, that's the definition of a vision that is going to give God gl the glory. Let's read here verse 15. But the former governor who were before me, look at those uh, before me, laid burdens on the people and took from them bread. Leaders don't take Leaders, give. You will never be an effective leader until you start to give. <laughs> leaders don't take. Leaders give. You will never be an effective leader until you start to give. He took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants bore rule. Even the servants of the previous now governor. He put burdens on people. He made them pay. He took their bread. He took everything from them over the people. But underline this church here, please. But I did not do so. He didn't follow the crowd. He followed integrity. They, must, they probably did that. But I did not do so. Why? Because of the fear of God. Because of the fear of God. They may be doing that. But I will not be doing that. I'm not going to demand from people. They started to demand things from these people. He said, I'm not going to demand their bread and, and their shekels and, and, and their money and put burdens on them. I'm not going to demand. A leader doesn't demand to receive. A leader decides to give. And this is amazing here because it tells us here, even the assistants started taking advantage, but I didn't because of the fear of God. He was a God-fearing man. He was a God-fearing leader. He did what was right before God. He didn't do what was right before his own privilege. He could have done that because he was the governor, but he said, no, I'm, gonna, I'm committed to a life of holiness, to a life of integrity, to a life of character. A lot of times we think, you know what, well, God wants to use my life and, and all of that, but we don't have integrity, we don't have character. And it's interesting here because the, the world sometimes places a higher standard for Christians then, then in, in our Christianity, then we Christians set that standard for ourselves. <laughs> they sometimes are so thirsty to see someone so different from them, but we are so desperate and anxious and trying to convince them that we're not so different after all. <laughs> I think more of this world, we want to convince people, hey, we're not that different. <laughs> we're just like you. And in their mind, they're just thinking like, I thought they were supposed to be different this whole time. And we want to, with just a passion, for some reason, we have an itch to convince them, you know what, we're just not, not that different than you. We're not different after all. And we lower the moral standard. But here, he didn't lower the standard. He didn't say, I'm, I'm going to do like the old governor. He said, I'm not going to charge them because I fear God. And people that fear God, guess what they know? They know that they will have to answer to God. That, that, that should just make you tremble. I fear God, so that means I have to answer to Him. I don't have to answer to anyone but God, number one, first. And if I fear God and I know that I have to answer Him, then I'm going to watch the way I talk, the way we walk, the way we behave, the way we conduct ourselves. Because one day we're going to have to answer to God. 
And we're not at the answer to God the hard questions. Not them little easy questions. We're not the answer to God the hard questions. He didn't abuse the people or use their or his liberties because his integrity to him was worth more to him than his expense account. <laughs> his integrity was worth more than his expense account. And he's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to touch it because I want to be above reproach. The people don't exist to serve you. You exist to serve them. You exist to serve them. And he said, I'm not going to do that for the love of the crowd. I love that. What Jesus taught us, he said, I didn't come to serve, uh, to, to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for any, for many. You see, he didn't let his, this position also be used for a place for that he can build a platform and make these wise investments so that when he retired from governor, uh, guess what? He would be set up. Few people can handle the pressure of leadership without compromising their integrity. Few people can handle the pressure of leadership without compromising their integrity. I'll tell you, and you, if you're in leadership, you will be tested when it comes to your integrity. You will be tested as a Christian when it comes to your integrity. Even if nobody finds out, will you do it? That's when integrity kicks in. That's when integrity kicks in. Even if nobody finds out, will you do it? And it says here, verse 16, Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we didn't buy any land. Why didn't he buy any land? Because he didn't want to distra be distracted with land. Don't let your land be also your distraction. It's good to have nice things, but it's not good that nice things have you and that dominate you. And it says here that he didn't now buy those things <clears throat> because of the fear of God. And I continued the work on the wall, and we did not buy any land. And all my servants were gathered there for the fellowship. No, no. <laughs> For the coffee. No, they were gathered there for the work. Don't be obsessed with fellowship when there's a lot of work to get done. Matter of fact, the work is your fellowship. There, there, there are, there's nothing that gets you closer to people than when you're serving in ministry with them. That is the sweetest fellowship. So I, I mean, I've met so many people that are so in love with fellowship that they forget that there's work to get done. And at my table, there were 150 Jews rulers from besides those who came from us, from the nations around us. Not only was he not taking out of the expense account, he also invited 150 people to come and eat at his table and said, you know what, I'm going to pay for everyone's food. That's a leader there. He says here now he invites them, and not including the guests that were coming to him and the visitors here, 150 people. Why? Because the leaders are willing to give. Verse 18, now, that which was prepared daily was one knock. Six choice, uh, choice cheap, also fowl were prepared for me. And once every 10 days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. All of this he was given every 10 days, every six days. An abundance, yet in spite of this. 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 I'm going to church on Wednesday. I'm going on Friday. They already have me serving twice a week. Oh my gosh, they wants me to go a third time. Look at everything that I'm doing. Look at everything Nehemiah was doing. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provision because the bondage was heavy on the people. In spite of everything that I was doing, I did not demand a single thing. Be careful that you don't start to demand things because you're serving the Lord. Expect things because you're serving the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord, but I'm going to demand my right. 
Look what he's saying. I'm not going to demand anything in spite of everything that I'm giving and I'm doing for the people. I did not demand in spite of it. I did not demand it. Why didn't he demand it? Because he knew that the now burden was heavy on the people. He didn't want to become heavier on the people. If he started to take from them, guess what? He became heavy for them in a time where they could not afford that. They can't afford it right now. And guess what he did? He didn't neglect the work of the wall, but he also kept a clear focus of what the needs of the people were. He didn't become unsensitive. Let's build, let's build, let's build, let's build. He was leading with compassion. And today we learn something to lead with conviction, but also lead with compassion. Today, lead with conviction and also lead with compassion. Do not lose the sensitive spirit. The man or the woman that becomes impatient with weakness of people is becoming defective in their leadership. If you become impatient with someone else's weakness, then you're not a good leader. Here you think he was becoming impatient with their weakness that they couldn't afford him right now? I don't care if they can't afford it. I'm still going to give. I don't care if they're not where I'm at. I'm still going to be patient because that's what it means to be a leader now. And if you run too far ahead of that people, you're going to lose every ounce of power when it comes to influence. Don't run too far ahead of people. You think Nehemiah was saying, I'm the governor, you guys, hey, good luck when it comes to the wall, I'm out of here now. He kept building the wall. That didn't change him. That did not change him. And don't let any position change you. Don't let it change you. Verse 19 as we end. Remember me, my God, for the good according to all that I have done for this people. A lot of people have a hard problem with this verse because he's saying, Lord, remember me for everything good I did for the people. But you know what I love about Nehemiah? He wanted to be remembered by God, not remembered by man. A lot of times people do so many things, crazy things, for, in the name of the Lord. But because they want to be remembered by man. It's so sad. They start to praise on numbers. They start to, to advertise numbers and, and promote and exhibit numbers because they want to be known and remembered by man. Do you want to be remembered by man or remembered by God? This was his private prayer life and diary that we're reading here. He probably didn't want us to read that part. But he's saying, Lord, would you please bless me? I want you to bless me. I want to be blessed in your eyes. I don't want to be blessed and honored in the eyes of the world. I want you to bless me. Because he knew that the true reward, the, two, the true blessing, came not from man, but it came from God. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, because we know that you promote with purpose. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be men of interest, women of interest, but men and women of unity. That we would lead with, lead with conviction and that we would lead with compassion. That we would have the best interest of others in mind. It wouldn't be about us, Lord. That we would not demand anything because of everything we're doing. Praise God that we're doing that much. And let us do more. <laughs> let us not limit because we're thinking we're doing too much, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this. But I pray, Lord, that this would not only cause change as we read it, Lord, but that we would... Take the chains in us and with us, Lord. We want to be men and women, Lord, that, that you raise up. 
Because we have, Lord, your glory, the gospel, the true gospel in mind. And we pray this all in your name. In Jesus' name, the church together says...